The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. What happens when the world's top restaurateur gives up on meat? Listen to my chat with Daniel Hum, 11 Madison Park's master chef. If you're listening to this podcast, you must recognize the value of asking questions. At Aramco, our questions help us engineer a better future. How can today's resources fuel our shared tomorrow? How can we deliver energy to a world that can't stop? How can we deliver one of the fuels of the future? How can we sow curiosity to harvest ingenuity? To learn more about how innovation drives us forward, visit aramco.com slash powered by how. Welcome to the Meatless Holiday Edition of The Exchange. I'm Rob Cox, the global editor of Breaking Views, the financial commentary on Reuters News, and I'm coming to you from Zurich, Switzerland. My guest this week is also from Zurich, but he lives in New York. His reputation, though, is global. Daniel Hum is the chef at 11 Madison Park, a New York City restaurant with three Michelin stars that was voted the best in the world in 2017. I was inspired to chat with Daniel after seeing him speak at the COP26 climate shindig in Glasgow, Scotland, in October. He was on a panel explaining why he decided to completely shift the focus of his cooking to plant-based ingredients. No ducks, no caviar, just veggies and grains and the like. Daniel's decision to go vegan after the pandemic was sort of an atom bomb for the whole cuisine community. But as he tells me, it's consistent with the need for humanity to change its ways to avoid ecological and other disaster. It's also a hell of a challenge, which this multi-marathoner admits in our chat. Speaking of which, I asked him what to cook for Christmas instead of a turkey. It's a challenge. Give a listen to find out. Daniel, great to see you. Uh, you and I briefly interacted at the COP26 in Glasgow, where I was, uh, I was in the audience when you were up on, on the stage talking uh, with our mutual friend, Dustin Yellen and Gabriella Hurst about, well, about various things, but your, your charge was to talk about your conversion, your Damascene conversion for, as to, to a plant-based diet, having been, you know, run one of the, the famed restaurants in the world where uh, people will go in and get their duck and their beef. Uh, it, was, it was quite, a, I mean, I'm just curious, how did people respond to that message? How have they responded really since you turned 11 Madison Park into a plant-based restaurant? I think uh, it's clearly hit a nerve around the world, our decision uh, to go this way. And I think both people have applauded it very strongly and uh, people are criticizing it very strongly. And um, I think it's uh, really a, a radical change. But to backtrack a little bit is my experience during the pandemic was, um, was, was life-changing. And, um, you know, our restaurant shut down, uh, I believe it was March 16th of 2019. And it went from 100 to zero overnight and we were closed for 16 months. And in fact, I didn't know if there would be an 11 Madison Park, if we could even survive this. We had to let our staff go. A lot of people are on visas. They had to return to their countries. Like everything fell apart overnight. This is a restaurant that I've been now for almost 18 years. So um, many, many years of, of hard work and team building just shattered in front of us. But I'm the co-founder of an organization called Rethink Food. 
to feed uh, food insecure uh, New Yorkers. And uh, what we do, we take food from restaurants, uh, leftovers, and we prepare them into meals to then give uh, to people in need. Uh, during the pandemic, all restaurants shut down, so we had no more supply of, of food from restaurants. So I decided to turn 11 Madison Park into a community kitchen where we've cooked over a million meals uh, during the pandemic. It changed my life. It, it made me connect with food in a whole new way. The magic of food, being in these neighborhoods, these underserved neighborhoods like Brownsville, the Bronx, Queens. I mean, there are large neighborhoods. And um, I realized, uh, you know, the power of food. And when someone came to me and, you know, when I gave them a meal that cost $3 to prepare, to, um, prepare and they would say that was one of their best things they've ever eaten. You know, that was very emotional. And so I, uh, I connected very strongly with food as a language, as my language. And I, real, and I, I thought a lot about luxury too. I, I thought about, wow, I have this luxury establishment. Does this even make sense in a city? where people also have no food. And so I, I was really in my head, I was wrestling with, with, with all these ideas and, and also the, the future of, of my career. Um, our restaurant was named the number one restaurant in the world in 2017. And I can tell you that that was what I thought was the mountaintop, what I thought was the goal. I have never felt as empty as, as after that. I felt um, pulled in a lot of different direction. I, I didn't feel I even know where I was going anymore. Well, where do you go if you're number one? You can't, <laughs> the it, next step it's is tough. Uh, it's hard tough. to imagine. It's tough. But, so how did, well, where did the, where did, so I can see how you, you're a marathon runner. You obviously push yourself and, and challenge yourself and you get to number one, you think, well, what, what can I do? I've, I've got the best restaurant in the world. Then you could think, I, one could see the move to abandon uh, meat as it were, is this is a new challenge. Is that what it was for you? Or is it more, was there something more ethical? Was there a sort of moral question that you were trying to solve for by moving to a plant-based? You know, I think uh, I'm working very much like an artist. And uh, when, you know, it's a highly creative uh, endeavor, 11 Madison Park, we always try to move forward, move food forward. And it's always sort of a reaction of my experience as a chef, um, the place and the moment, the time. And so, when I was just able to step back from it all and sort of think through it, what feels the most uh, of the moment. I'm no food systems expert. I'm no climate change expert, but I am an expert in what comes, uh, what ingredients come to the back door of our restaurant. And so when I thought about how that has changed over the last 30, 20, 10 years, and, and even more rapidly lately. Like 
ingredients used to be available, they're no longer available. Ingredients used to be wild, now they're farm-raised. Ingredients used to taste a certain way and now they're not. And so if I'm celebrated as a chef that constantly pushes the boundaries, there was only one way to push towards, in my opinion. And it was to put our creativity towards a plant-based uh, diet, because in fact, that is where the world is going. Um, when you it fits nicely, right? I mean, if you think about, and you were in Glasgow as well, I mean, it, the urgent need to reduce methane emissions and the urgent need to reforest, all of these things that we believe now are, are part of the, the solving the problem of human existence. You know, you are certainly right into the zeitgeist, but let me, let me just say, you know, I was, when I was watching your talk and uh, a friend of mine came over, uh, an Italian, and she said, she sort of listened to you talking about how you will not take any more deliveries of ducks, you know, and, and she sort of rolled her eyes and was like, I don't know about that. Um, and, and later was said to me, oh, you know, now I'm just craving duck. <laughs> and I thought, okay, well, how did, then I, then I thought, well, wait a sec, maybe you have to start one step at a time. So getting people to go completely into a plant-based diet is one thing. And, and I thought what you came up with this idea, and I'm sure other, you know, you've talked about this quite a bit, the idea of a meatless Monday. So just starting with one day of the week where you make a conscious decision not to, or to eat a plant-based diet. How do you, how is, I mean, do you think that's, is that sort of how you see it as a sort of start slowly, get people hooked on the idea? Yeah, hundred percent. I, th I, I think, you know, in the restaurant, we wanted to show how delicious it can be and, and, and make things think outside the box. One thing we're always saying is that this isn't anti-meat, but this is pro-planet. And then I think a great way to start is, is by one day a week and everyone can do this and actually also make it exciting. What's, what's, um, you know, what's amazing about this is that we can start doing that immediately now. Like, I mean, being a cop was, you know, was a little bit depressing. Like the more facts you have, the more depressing it gets and, and it can't just be no longer ignored. We can no longer ignore it. And, you know, we talk about sustainability a lot, but sustainability, it's too late. Like sustainable, we should have been sustainable 30 years ago. Now mm. we need to be more radical. We need to really change our behaviors. And I know change is hard, but I think everyone can eat plant-based one day a week and we can start that tomorrow. Like when we talk about the electric car or windmill energy or all these things, no plastic, that, that takes, I don't know, 40, 50 years. And, but our eating habits can be changed immediately. And that's why I think it is so crucial. Food is so central to so many uh, issues in the world, but in particular climate change. And of course, not everyone's on board. You and Claridge's parted ways over, over the, the menu. How, how, what, what, what was your experience? What learning did you gather from that exchange with Claridge's? You know, I, as I said, when I, when I relaunched 11 Madison Park, it came from a very creative place. 
I, I felt the creativity should go towards plant-based. I didn't realize the nerve that it was hitting and uh, the strong feelings that, that, that would come up and, and what it meant to stand on that stage and say, you know, there is no three Michelin star restaurant that is fully plant-based and there has never been. So it's truly pioneering. Like no one has actually done what we're doing ever. And so I didn't realize that exactly what that would mean. And, but very quickly I realized that I have to number one, learn a lot more and also just really double down on, on, on what we're doing. And I think one thing was clear that there's, there can't be compromise and we can't be cooking vegetable in one place and cooking meat in another place. It, it felt like very strongly that we had to go all in. And for me, the departure at Clarges was tough because this is the restaurant where I started my career right. 30 years ago. And so it was like a homecoming. It was a very special place. Uh, it's a beautiful restaurant and the team is terrific. And we had numerous accolades in the, you know, two years we were open. And so that was a really tough one, but I think um, this mission is so much bigger than trying to build an empire as a chef. Well, London's the home of roast beef, so it's going to be a tough one. But uh, I suppose, so what, what do you, let me just think about the economics of it. As you pointed out, you know, you had this this life-changing moment where you converted the kitchen essentially to a community kitchen, feeding uh, the underserved around New York City. Um, now you're back and it's, you know, $300, $350, whatever it is to, to eat at uh, 11 Madison Park. But how do you, how do you also make that value, G give people the perception that, that, that they're paying for what they're, you know, getting? Because like, you know, there is still this idea, well, I'll order the, lo the lobster. I can see why that's expensive. Someone had to take a lobster from the depths of the ocean in Maine and bring it to me or the, the uni that, that was farmed here or, or, you know, the beef that came from a special place. How do you make vegetables, essentially, or plants? How do you give it that same sort of luxury resonance? Is that difficult for you as, a, from a, as almost as like a business proposition? You know, I think the question, and, and I think this is also why I, I realized I had a unique platform. And even if this is the way forward, I think for a lot of restaurants, that, that would be, even if they would believe that this is the way forward, it would be a very hard thing to do. And, and I think that's why I felt so strongly that I had almost a responsibility to change the conversation, that, that, that it would give you know, that it would allow other restaurants to, to do the same. Like 11 Madison Park, I believed, and, and I think I've been proven right because it's actually working, but I, I believed that we were selling an experience more than we were just selling food on a plate. Like if you have an a la carte restaurant and you go there for an appetizer and a main course, and it's going to be hard to charge $45 for a carrot main course. But for us, it was different, I believed. I believe people come to be taken away, to taken on this journey, and it's not so much about. And, 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 I, think, and I think that's true. But my point is also, 
to prepare vegetables is so much more labor intensive. And what is luxury? Isn't that an old idea of luxury where we just look at a plate and say, oh, my Kobe totally. beef is on there? Or isn't time luxury? Isn't the, the effort it labor, takes? Labor, the labor that's going that into it, the creativity, sure. The creativity, the thought, you know. And um, so, so I think we, we really need to change. And, and also like, I can get Kobe beef everywhere. I can get caviar everywhere. Like, come on, that's not luxury. It's boring. And so I, I think it's, if I can go to a place that offers me something truly unique, that's worth so much more. What else, is there another way to take this message to the masses? So I look out there and I see people, well, obviously there's impossible food, you know, all these kinds of different plant-based things. I think of, um, in my neighborhood in New York, there's a place called Superiority Burger. You've probably been down there. Yeah, um, and or, you know, that's vegan or vegetarian. I'm, I'm not sure it's sort of, sometimes I can't tell the difference, but you know, it's plant-based. Is there a way for you to take this to the masses? So rather than the $350 meal at 11 Madison Park, which is an extraordinary experience, as you say, you know, do you think you'll do something like that? I don't know, launch a fast food plant-based restaurant? You know, for me, I don't know. I'm just so focused on 11 Madison Park. I'm, I'm really focused on uh, the community work. Um, we're doing a lot of work in, in the Queensbridge housing project. And, uh, and I want to go deeper. Um, I, I'm really interested in, in sort of the, you know, food as, as moving the conversation forward and then also food as, as a way to give back. I, I am less interested in, in, in food as a business, to be honest, that, that I think there are other people who, who will hopefully take this and, 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 and do very well with it. What I can tell you is that it does, it has changed the conversation. I think us making this move, I can see how there's a restaurant in Copenhagen that just announced that they're dropping meat off the menu. There's a little coffee shop around the corner from our restaurant called Birch. They are now a fully plant-based coffee shop. I mean, I just see how it has given permission because obviously there's been such a strong reaction. And, and, and I think it has made people more confident to, to follow suit. I think we will see a lot of this. I mean, the Met Ball was completely plant-based after we announced it. Like, and, and I, I don't have a list of all these yeah. things. But there's numerous uh, things that I think happened because of our decision to go plant-based. It won't, I don't think, it's not yet hit uh, Zurich, I can tell you, Daniel, it's not uh, quite. <laughs> this Cronenhall is still serving the, uh, the uh, veal, but um, just I'm thinking, you know, before I let you go, it is of course Christmas time and holiday time. What do you tell people who say, well, wait a minute, if, if I, I want to do this, but I can't give up my turkey or my beef wellington or something like that for Christmas. What's your sort of like ideal menu for Christmas? Well, we, we just uh, celebrated Thanksgiving at 11 Madison Park, fully plant-based. And instead of the turkey, we made this beautiful stuffed squash with stuffing. Uh, and, and these wild mushrooms and uh, with all the sides, like to still feel like the Thanksgiving with the cranberries and everything. And, uh, you know, we were fully booked and, uh, and I don't think anyone missed the turkey. 
And, you know, just to Turkey alone, I can tell you, I did a little research on this. There are every year 45,000 turkeys getting slaughtered for Thanksgiving, for one day. Um, it's kind of unthinkable when you really think about it. I, re I really recommend there's a there's a film called Eating Our Way Into Extinction. It just came out and I really recommend watching it because I think we all need to be more educated about what's going on. And I think we, we can't just turn a blind eye to it. I think we need to at least be aware of, of what's happening out there and even what it does to us uh, eating these things uh, because often it, it doesn't make us healthy. I can tell you that. Well, on that note, I wish you a happy Christmas. <laughs> happy Christmas to you too. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Daniel. Thank you. That's our show for this week. Thanks to our producers, Katrina Hamlin and Sharon Lamb, and to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Exchange and our sister podcast, The Views Room, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go to get your podcast fixes. And check us out every day at breakingviews.com.